Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? Welcome to the latest episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. We're excited to welcome USC Upstate Assistant Coach and Recruiting Coordinator Tyler Cook to the podcast, a native of Bloomington, Illinois. Cook is back coaching at his alma mater after a brief stint as a coach at Eastern Kentucky. In his fourth year as a coach for the Spartans, Cook works with the outfielders and hitters. We're excited to pick his brain about college baseball, recruiting, player development, and more specifically, mid-major baseball at the D1 level. Cookie, thanks for joining us on the show today, man. I appreciate you having me, Ethan. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about your journey in baseball and how you came to be the recruiting coordinator at your alma mater? Okay. Um, I, I grew up in Bloomington, Illinois. Um, which is right smack dab in the middle of the state. And, and, you know, I was, you know, in a sports family, you know, my dad was a football player, you know, my sister rode in college. So, you know, very competitive growing up, um, grew up playing multiple sports. Um, my parents were of the, of the mindset that, you know, if, if you're not playing a sport during the season, you got to get a job. And I, and I wasn't about to get a job. So, um, you know, I ended up playing, you know, football, Football, basketball, and uh, and baseball, and uh, you know, baseball was was the one that I thought, you know, I, I had a future in, and you know, I wanted to go south, and you know, Coach Fincher here at Upstate gave me an opportunity to uh, to play, so um, came down there uh, and played there from 2008 to 2012. After that, wanted to uh, get my my master, so I ended up at Belmont University uh, in Nashville, and was able to to help out a little bit with Coach Jarvis up there. And then that, you know, uh, linked up with Eastern Kentucky University with Jason Steen, who who taught me a lot in my one year there. And, you know, once once that year was over in, in 2015, I was I was able to uh, to come back to Upstate as an assistant coach. And, and one thing led to another, and I'm already in fourth year. It's crazy how fast it goes. But, you know, just, just excited to, uh, to see where our guys are going to go this year. Yeah, and full disclosure for the people listening at home, uh, we were on the coaching staff together for more than a year, um, and I don't like to throw compliments at coaches before we even roll into difficult questions, but... Bring it on, bring it on. You probably could have been a a college basketball player with that jump shot, right? We we had some battles, uh, you and I, over over that year, and I, I won a few. And lost a few, but I think I can shoot my way to uh, some basketball team at some point. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a jump shot that um, I would put up against probably any college baseball coach in the country. But we both know that I beat you in our last game that we played against each other. So the last uh, one's all that matters. So you got yeah. it. Um, let's start off, you know, talking about actual college baseball here. USC Upstate's a mid-major Division One program. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and, um, you know, how it might be different from a Power 5 D1 program that kids see on TV? The biggest difference is is financially and resources. What I tell the guys that, that I'm recruiting, I mean, it, it's a Division One experience. You're, you're going to play against the best at the highest level of Division One baseball, you can, um, and, and you're gonna you're gonna do your best to win that game. But you know, from a coaching perspective, it's um, it's having to fundraise more. It's it's working. You know, trying to stretch out your dollar as best you can, um, and then you know, also at the Power Fives, you have you have a lot more support staff. You know, for me, I'm the recruiting coordinator, but I'm also you know, the director of baseball ops. I'm also part-time sports psychologist. I'm also part-time, you know, um, love therapist. You know, I, you, you, you wear all these different hats, but I, I think it's so rewarding <laughs> that you, you help these guys out in, in so many different ways, um, as well as, you know, obviously the baseball part. And I would say those two are, are, are the biggest differences that I see uh, between us, the mid-majors, and, and the power five. Yeah, and building off that, what do you see as some of the benefits for a high school kid playing mid mid major baseball? You know, who might have some opportunities to play at a, a higher level or at some bigger schools. What would you say is is the draw? What's your recruiting pitch for mid major baseball? I think the biggest thing that you can sell at a mid major program is development when you get to the power five schools you know they're they're obviously very talented uh, but I, I think it's more of a, a sink or swim at least that's the perception you know whereas as a uh, a mid-major you've got a chance to um have an immediate impact if, if you're you know a really good player and and you know we're lucky enough to get you um, but you also have a chance to to develop your craft a little bit more there's more coaching involved i think um, and, and guys that, that come to the mid-major schools, they have to have that, you know, underdog mentality. They've got to try and build the legacy um, at their school. You know, mid-majors, you know, very rarely do you find the consistent major powers. But you, you, you want to you tell a recruit, hey, you, you got a chance to, to write the history of this program. And that's something that a lot of guys kind of latch on to. You know, we're, we're in our 11th year of Division One and, you know, we were entering a new conference this year, and, and so we told our guys, "Hey, you got a chance. You got a chance to write write the new story in the Big South Conference." And and so far, you know, this fall they've they've really latched onto that and attacked that, and and have been you know very good with what, what we're doing this fall. So I'm, I'm very happy with with where things are going. Yeah, and it's important to note that you know although they might not get the publicity that a big powerhouse, you know, power five school might get, they might not end up on TV or have the games broadcasted quite as often, but, uh, you know, especially some, some players that you played against in college and even some guys from USC upstate with Chad Sabaka making it to the majors and having an impact 
on the Braves playoff team last year. There's some really good baseball. Yeah, you you are not going to get passed up being a mid-major Division One. I. I mean, we're we're in a great location where you know we're in the southeast where there's just so many good teams. Not everyone, not every player can go to the Power Five. So you mentioned players that have been in, especially our conference in the past, Chris Sale and, and Jacob Degrom that. They go to these small schools and and develop and become you know obviously monsters at the at the major league level. Important for players to realize that uh, you know there's a lot of avenues to college baseball. There's also a lot of avenues to pro ball, and a lot of that flows through some of these mid major programs that have quite a track record with developing professional talent. Why don't you walk us through a typical day in the life of a USC Upstate Spartan during the fall? Our guys are, are extremely busy during the fall. We we like to get our lifting out of the way. So our guys will lift at, at 6 a.m. four days a week. They'll go to class. They'll go to lunch. They'll go to practice mid-afternoon or so. You go to dinner. You go to study hall. You sleep and, and you repeat it. You know, it's, it's very regimented. So our guys know where they're supposed to be. And I think that helps them with their time management. You know, that's the biggest adjustment for freshmen is is you're on your own for the first time so having that regimented schedule is is huge for them and you know our guys tend to respond after a few weeks of getting up at you know that 5 30 to get to the six o'clock lift that they respond well talk a little bit more about some of those details that uh, high school kids might not know about so where you know where are your guys living and where are they eating and and how does that make things you know, obviously every every school is going to be a little bit different in that regard, but how do you guys have it set up? We have it set up where our freshmen are required to live on campus, and then after that, our guys tend to, to go off campus. And by off campus, I mean we have, you know, three apartment complexes within about a half a mile of school, so it's, it's not far at all. Um, but a lot of them are eating in the cafeteria, uh, the, the ones that live on campus have the luxury of also having a, a full kitchen in their dorm rooms so they can cook if they'd like same with the guys that live in the apartments but just making sure that they're they're in class and, and eating enough and doing what they're supposed to do to to be a great student first and be a, a great baseball player second and how does this daily grind how does it change during the spring spring obviously you're playing four to five days a week. So we're, we won't be lifting as much, uh, usually about two days a week, and then making sure our guys are, are staying up with their schoolwork and, and getting the necessary rest and keeping their bodies healthy. Because obviously through the fall and, and early spring, it's kind of a marathon, and then the season gets here, and it's, it's a 56-game sprint. And our guys got to get ready to go every day, and hopefully we can give them enough rest that they are ready to go and compete during our games. And so you guys aren't lifting at 6 a.m. during the season? No, we are not. We will, we will lift two days a week, usually after practice on the days that you don't have games. So that that's great. I mean, that gives guys a little bit idea of what that, that daily grind is like and how much effort is actually required to play at the Division One level and really any level of college baseball. Let's kind of build off that and swing the conversation towards recruiting. Um, what are you looking for in a high school recruit as a recruiter? First and foremost, I want athletes. I want guys that are wanting to move out there. They're playing free. Obviously, you're going to look at the tools 
you know, how they run, how they swing, how they throw, so on and so forth. But guys that are having fun is huge for me. You know, I look for guys that, that have a positive attitude. I think that's something that can be overlooked from time to time. How you treat your coaches, how you treat your other teammates is huge. And then obviously we look for, for guys that are system fits. You know, we're, you know, we have a big ballpark and, and we're going to try and drive the gaps and run. So, you know, maybe a big hulking slugger isn't in our future, even though he may be a good player. You know, you've got to look at who fits your culture the best. And I think you know, we've, we've addressed those issues pretty well over my four years here. And break down the evaluation process for a high school kid when you show up at the games. Or, you know, you mentioned some things about how he treats his coach and that he's having fun and has some energy. How are you looking for those things as you evaluate them? Obviously, I, I want to see it with my eyes first. You know, I don't, I don't like to recruit off a of video if I, if I don't have to. You know, I want to get there and see how he, he plays the game, if he plays the game hard. But there's so much research into this, Ethan. You know this. I mean, you, you're calling their high school coach. You're calling their your travel ball coach. They're calling their principal and guidance counselor. And just trying to figure out information on the kid to see if he is a good fit for your program. So there's so much more that goes into this than just, hey, I saw you at this event. Come to school here. Okay, I'll come. I mean, there's so many different factors, and and a lot of that's missed um, from the outside perspective. Definitely. How about for junior college guys? Is it kind of the same process for you, or what skills and attributes are you looking for out of those older and and more mature guys? Yeah, I think it's it's system fit again. You know, those guys and playing at at the college level for two years, and they have 20 years of habits they've developed. So. If we get them for two years, it's going to be tough to break those habits. So we we look for guys that are system fits. And then we also obviously need to check the grades. I mean, with the NCAA and the way it works, there's so many different hurdles you got to go through with junior college guys. So making sure that their grades are lining up to where they can transfer over to our school and, and then just finding the right kids, finding the right guys that I want to work with day in, day out. Yeah, I think that's a really great point about the junior college because a lot of times guys who are playing at that level will equate junior college eligibility with transfer eligibility, which is definitely not the case. So making sure you're taking the right classes and you have a plan from day one that you show up on a junior college campus is a huge deal. And that's where the player having a little bit of background knowledge helps too. You can't just rely on your your counselor or your coach, you got to take it into your own hands and, and realize, hey, maybe this this random PE class is going to transfer over, but you know what will? A foreign language, a psychology, things that, you know, every program in the country is going to take. And, and that's on that's on the junior college player to, to have a little bit of background knowledge on that. Yeah, because as you and I both know, a lot of times those resources aren't, aren't always there um, or are spread thin at the junior college level. So a great point there that, you know, junior college players really have to take things into their own hands and make sure that they're making the necessary steps so that they can transfer to a four-year school like you guys. I want to continue to talk about kind of your process for recruiting. What does a typical recruitment look like at USC Upstate? So how would a typical process of a high school player becoming a Spartan look like from start to finish? And you've kind of got into that a little bit, but 
is there a kind of a typical process that shakes out? Yeah, for us as a program, we don't get too far ahead in recruiting as far as, you know, that's a big trend right now is, is the early commitments. We, we like to, to see guys, mark them down, see how they develop and then and strike at the right time. And for us, that right time is their junior year, usually starting in the spring of their junior year into that summer season and kind of getting our guys those offers out at that point. Any emails that we receive with those emails, I encourage the, the student athletes that are looking to be recruited to one, have the right name, two, have the right school, you know, have some information about themselves. And if you have video, always include it. And you know, that always helps us with, with the, you know, just observing the swing or the arm action for a pitch or things like that. And then I want guys that want to be at USC Upstate. You know, I want guys that show interest in the university that are able to keep in contact with me on a pretty consistent basis. You know, if, if guys aren't contacting me on their own sometimes, I think they're they're losing interest and then I'll move on to the next guy. And and that's just the nature of the beast. You know, that's just the way it is. But you know, and and when you show interest, that's the kind of guy I want to work with day in, day out, which, you know, we've talked about before is huge for coaches wanting to work with their kind of players. Yeah. For for players that don't really pan out, have you noticed any trends of where things start to break down or you know, what are some of the, the major mistakes that you see recruits making or even parents making? I think communication is is a big one. Like I said, make sure that you're communicating with your coaches, even if it's bad news. You know, I like that people say, hey, coach, you know, I just don't think I, I want to go to school here. I appreciate the honesty, man. You, it's, it's much better to tell me that than to just ghost me like some of them do. And then I'll, Parents, let, I would tell them to to let their kids handle the recruiting process. One thing that, that really frustrates me is when, when parents are the ones that are emailing or parents are the ones talking the majority during their, their campus visit, things like that. I want to I see how the, the kid reacts to the situation and how he's able to write an email or hand himself on the visit. You know, that stuff's important for how – we're going to interact over the next four years. Um, and, and just know that for recruits, you know, no school is, is too good for you. I think that's a, a perception that, that some athletes have is they're too good for this institution. You have to find the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not interested in said school, like I said, be, be sure to be open and honest with them. But don't think that you're ever too good for, for a certain school. Because it's very flattering that they like you in the first place. About 11, 12% of high school players end up playing in college. So any interest is putting you in pretty elite company. Um, and, and to your point, right, sometimes burning those bridges and, and not treating coaches with respect can come back and bite you a little bit. Have you ever had a player who you expressed interest in and maybe they treated you poorly and then they came back into the picture late wanting to uh, re-engage and and it just didn't work out. Yes, I mean we've we've had that happen before. Had a player that we offered early in the in the cycle, and you know he just kind of cut off communication after his visit. And then May of his senior year comes around, and I haven't heard from the kid in you know seven months, eight months. And he says, "Hey, coach, is my offer still on the table?" No, 
Johnny. It's not. It's it's been handed out to someone that was able to get with me and who you know showed an interest in USC Upstate. And guess what? They're they're now our you know our starting position player now. So it's it's a shame that some people don't handle the recruiting process the right way. But you know it's a tough lesson that they have to learn at some point. I want to blend some of the this recruiting discussion with some developmental stuff. What's what's the biggest developmental hurdle that first year players must overcome, you know, when they transition to college baseball? I think the biggest thing is the speed of the game. Obviously, for a lot of Division One players, they're the best player on their high school team year in, year out. And so when you're consistently facing good arms for a hitter, the speed of the game can be an issue. And then just the everyday grind of it all. For a Division One program, obviously the new rule this year is you're allowed to play two games in the fall of outside competition. But before that, you know, you're just you're just competing against yourself. So I mean right. it's a you're you're pretty much practicing all year round and you get a like I said, a fifty six game sprint in the spring. So embracing that grind, embracing the development aspect and, and getting your game better in order to perform at your peak in spring is, is huge and a big adjustment for, for JUCO transfers as well as freshmen. So knowing that the speed of the game and the whole, uh, the whole grind is an issue, what are you guys doing during the fall to help ease that transition for your new players? We try to play as, as many inner squads as we can. I know that's what a lot of guys are, are used to is, is playing a lot of games. And so we try and ease that transition a little bit by playing as many inter squads as possible. We always try and make things competitive within the team. I know our, our pitchers have these different little metrics that they do to compete against each other as well as our hitters. So there's always some sort of competition going on. And, you know, you're just trying to teach during the fall. You're trying to teach the system. You're, you're trying to teach the competitive nature of Division One baseball. And so you put all that stuff together, I think some of them handle it very well and some of them don't, but the ones that handle it well are the ones that are going to succeed over four years in college baseball. Break down a little bit of that, the offensive development that you guys do. So, you, you know, you said you're teaching heavily in the fall. Um, can you kind of walk us through or break down the different phases or progressions or anything that you guys are doing to – prepare your hitters for uh for the spring well you know this ethan we have a we have a huge ballpark so you know we 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 don't we're not going to hit as many home runs as a lot of teams in college baseball so we're trying to teach the the flattest swing possible and for us you know we we just continue to work on our line drive approaches we want to put pressure on a defense so we're going to work on our bunting we're going to work on our hitting and running um and you know with these two fall games and being able to see that come to fruition so far has been has been really cool um it's an adjustment for some guys but once they get it and understand how much it works it, it's really to, it's really exciting to see and you know for our pitchers the same same thing they've they've got their system in place how that we want to attack hitters and um they've they've done a great job with that and it's just about implementing that in the fall so it can really get going during the spring what kind of uh what kind of training rotations do you guys have let's stick with the offense are you guys doing a lot of machine work are you doing a lot of live arm what's 
work, what, what kind of things would you see if you walked into the Spartan cage in the middle of a practice? Yeah, we use a lot of machines. We have three covered cages in our dugout that our guys will get in there. They have 24-7 access. And we have iron mic that they use all the time. Then we'll put our hack attack machine um, up for some breaking ball work. And then in the middle cages will kind of be player-specific stuff that they have to do to, to make sure their, their swings are getting better. And then on the field, we'll always have a live BP station, and we'll, we'll mix in some base running with that as well. And so there's always some place for our guys, for them to be. And, you know, they get a lot of swings in during practice, and it shows up during the games. So you got, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're using the machines to kind of push them towards that game level to speed them up a little bit with both the breaking ball and then velocity. And then you're using the, the middle cage to kind of slow things down and break down the swing and then trying to put it all together on the field. Absolutely. Our, with the way the game's going, velocity is huge. So we got to train against high velocity and that's where both of our machines come in and then just seeing seeing the arm work on a live BP, mixing all those together, you know, we think that we, we're going to have a pretty successful. What uh, you know, when you talk about that velocity work, what what? Give me some numbers. What type of uh, velocity are you pushing on the guys, and how do they respond to that? You know, we're trying to crank that machine up, you know, as high as it'll go. So a lot of the times, you know, out of the machine it kind of jumps. So if your if your machine's at about 85, it's looking about 95 depending on how far away you got it. So you crank that thing up and see how your guys react and make their, their own adjustments. Um, and, and once you get used to that, I think hitting off you know, a live arm is, is so much easier. And I think a lot of hitting coaches around the country um, would agree with that sentiment that machines help a hitter more than, more than most people think. Yeah, and how do those first-year players react to that if it's something that they haven't seen? Do most of them kind of get go to battle or do they shy away? There's an adjustment period, no doubt. Like I said, most of them haven't been hitting off machines a lot. Their high school coach will, will throw them BP a lot or what, what have you. But once they get used to it, most of them consider it a challenge. And once they are able to accept that challenge, that's when the growth takes, takes place and guys kind of jump and jump and jump. And so, our freshmen so far, you know, that first week was was an experience for them, <laughs> and then they've, they 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 got through that, and now they're really starting to go. And you know, I'm excited to see how those those jumps will will take place in the spring. They've picked their thumbs up off the the batting page. Yeah, board. there's there's a lot of thumbs <laughs> at Cleveland S. Harley Park for a little bit. <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's switch over to some defensive stuff. I definitely want to pick your brain about the outfield, the position that you work with. It's a position that often you know, doesn't get a lot of the defensive attention or love, but especially at a park like you've mentioned, Cleveland S. Harley Park, your home park, which is an absolute graveyard, outfield defense can be a major difference maker. So what are some of the drills or, or skills that you guys work on on a regular basis so your outfielders are comfortable roaming and, and defending such a big space? The biggest thing we work on is our routes with, with has, uh, you mentioned that our, our park is huge. So making sure that we're taking our proper routes to cut off baseballs and, and not having that ball go to the wall is, is a big factor. Another factor at all, our, our ballpark is the sun. 
sunballs are an issue throughout the year for for us and the opponent. So we need to practice as many sunballs as we can, and then you know just make sure we're we're attacking our cuts and relays as best we can as well. Uh, making sure we're getting rid of the ball at a quick pace, hitting our cut guys. Those are the three major things that that we we try and attack throughout the fall. Do you have any specific drills that you like doing to attack those those different areas? We have our, our drill series. We've got a, a little L drill that we do that allows us to you know catch different balls at different angles. Um, we have our our bad read drills that we do, our our route drills, we're just going back in a straight line. Uh, we've got our no glove drills and make sure we're running on our toes, otherwise the ball's gonna hit us in the face. Um, <laughs> just diff- different things that we do to make sure that we're putting our guys in a good position once the season comes around. Gotcha. If you were building an outfielder, almost like you would in a video game for Cleveland S. Harley Park to be a Spartan outfielder, what skill or two would you make sure that you max out at the 100? I would say the run tool would be one. that They got to be fast. They got to want to move. And then just like the pro game, you got to be able to hit in the outfield, especially corner outfielders. You got to be able to to move the baseball a little bit. So I would say, you know, the hit tool and the run tool will be the two biggest ones that I would I would max out for an so outfielder. So is it fair to say that when you're evaluating outfielders as recruits, those are two of the things that you're looking for? Yeah, you're looking for the tools as always, but you're also looking at the, at the small things. Are they backing up bases? You know, are they adjusting the positioning in the outfield on their own? Or is the coach telling them where to go? And then obviously you look at their routes, you know, are they, are they getting good routes, good jumps on the baseball? And, you know, some of those things are huge um, when you're, especially when you're kind of iffy on a guy, if he sees doing the little things, those are the kind of guys that, that we want in our program. Yeah. We've seen a, a little bit of a trend at some levels of college baseball where coaches will take, uh, you know, an athletic infielder and move him to the outfield. Is that something that you guys have, have done? And if so, Kind of what does that process look like? We have done that before, and there's two different reasons why we would do that. One, we want to get their bat in the lineup, but the infield bats are already, you know, too good, and we need to we need to find a spot for them. Or two, they just aren't cutting it on the infield, and we like their speed, and we want to move them to the outfield. You know, we we've, we've done this in the past with some guys, and guys that have went on to have really good outfield careers have made that adjustment early on and and just made huge improvements. So that's a trend that you're seeing throughout college baseball, and I think that's a trend that's going to continue to go, and I think it's a, it's a good one for the game. Yeah, I mean, versatility is obviously a huge deal at the college level um, when you might not have as much depth as, say, a, a professional roster has where you're kind of set with your guys. There's always a lot of things that, that shift around. What would you say to a recruit who who is asked to change position, who maybe has been an infielder their whole life, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're being told that they they're wanting in the outfield? I would tell them that this is a, a spot where they can maximize their potential. I think sometimes people are stuck in their ways and don't see that we're doing this to help them. I think coaches are always trying to help their players, and unfortunately. You know, sometimes they see it as criticism when it's not. But, you know, if you if you want to highlight what they're good at. So if they're a really good runner, 
and you think they'll be an excellent center fielder, you need to tell them, hey, you're a really good runner. You have a pro chance to be a center fielder. And that's that's something that if, if they are coachable and, and want to get better, they will take and they will run with and they will try and be that pro center fielder that you think they can be. I want to throw a little uh, fill-in-the-blank question at you, okay? So fill-in-the-blank fill here. When an outfielder can do blank, I'm immediately impressed. Oh, that's a tough one. I would say if an outfielder has plus routes, I'm immediately impressed. If if he can, if he's always in the right spot, if he knows what he's doing, then I'm going to write that down, you know, ASAP and, and have a, a high interest in that kid. Okay. Okay, you handled that one pretty good. So I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you here. I can't hit a curveball. You know this. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give you five rapid-fire fill-in-the-blank questions. I'll read them to you. You hit me with the answer, and we'll move on to the next one. All right, deal. Let's go. When a parent of a recruit does blank, it drives me nuts. Emails for them. The most important thing for a recruit to do when contacting a college coach for the first time is blank. Give all their information. The most effective form of free exposure that can help a recruit get interest from a college program is blank. Video, email. The biggest key to being a successful college baseball player is blank. Attitude and effort. The best part about college baseball is blank. Got to love that team aspect. Team aspect's the best part. It's what, why coaches continue to coach and why you have the best memories from your four years is, is the, your teammates and the memories you guys make, and that's, that's the joy of, of college baseball right there. I do want to uh, just open it up for you to provide some general advice for, for high school baseball players who are looking to play in college. And this is a question that we always ask in these interviews and get some great answers. So, so no pressure here, but if you could give a high school freshman who's interested in playing college baseball one piece of advice on the recruiting process and how to be successful, what would it be? I would tell them that there's always a place to play. You just have to find the right fit. I think sometimes if you truly want to play in college, you have to be okay with accepting the fact that not everyone goes to the highest level. Not everyone goes to Division One, But if you have that itch to play college baseball, there is a spot for you. And it's a matter of you finding the right academic and athletic fit. And how you do that is do your research on your own. You have to figure out who has your major. You have to figure out, you know, how many, if you want a small school, how many kids are go to that institution. There's different factors that, that everyone has their preference. But if you do your research, and you put yourself out there and, and you're able to to gain some exposure for yourself, there's no reason that you can't play college baseball. And I think, you know, some kids don't understand that. Awesome piece of advice, man. And, of course, that's the whole reason why Keep Playing Baseball exists, to help you guys through the recruiting process, to help answer your questions and provide you with the right information so that you can find your fit. Okay. I got one last question for you. It's a big one, so don't mess it up. Three-point shooting competition between Tyler Cook and Steph Curry. Who wins? Probably Steph, but it's going to be closer oh. than the experts think. I want to be humble on this broadcast, Ethan. So Steph's going to win, but I'm going to give him a run for his money. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. 
follow-up question. Who's got better moves in the post? Vladi Divac in his prime or Ethan Gavon in his prime? Ethan Gavon in his prime. His up and under is, is one of the best I've ever seen. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> you heard it here. Cookie, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today, man. It's been great to have you on and share your advice with, with recruits and parents out there. We're definitely going to bring you back for round two at some point in the future. I appreciate it, man. I enjoyed it. And if you ever need anything, just holler at me. Thanks for tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you have questions or need more information on the recruiting process or player development, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. We're also very active on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Keep Playing BB, Facebook, Keep Playing Baseball, and Instagram at Keep Playing Baseball. If you've found this podcast to be helpful, please take the time to leave us a review and give us five stars. That'll help other people find our podcast and get access to great free information. We'll be back at it with a new episode soon, but until then, take care.